All right, let's open our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 17, please. Luke, Luke chapter 17, and we'll begin reading in verse number 7. Luke 17, verse number 7. As many of you have probably picked up on by now, I try to choose songs that somewhat go with the theme of the sermon. And uh, this morning, I'd like to preach to you a sermon, a sermon called, Thank You, Lord. I'm obviously borrowing this from number 221, the newish song that we sang this morning. But what a wonderful chorus that goes with that. The entire song is good, but to sing, Thank You, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank You, Lord, for making me whole. And I think this passage in Luke 17 goes a long way to teaching us just how important that is and and how powerful those two words can be when they are said from a genuine heart and directed to the Lord Jesus Christ to look Him in the eye and say, thank you, thank you. Luke 17, we're going to read a few verses, say a couple things and pray, and then we'll make some headway. Verse Verse number seven. The Bible says, and this is Jesus speaking, but which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet? Well, this is rhetorical. Uh, The obvious answer to this is is no one would expect the master to say that to the servant. Uh, The servant has other duties that he needs to do. In verse 8, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Well, that's the normal course of things. This is what you would expect from a master-servant relationship. Verse 9, doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not, which is an old way of saying, I don't think so. I don't think so. One of those kind of things. Verse 10, Now he's going to link this to the disciples and what they're supposed to learn from it. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So can we pause there? We're going to use more verses this morning in this same passage, but I'd like to have a word of prayer here and then we'll say a few things about what we've already seen. Father, please help us this morning. If there's anything that I think all of us, and I I mean all as in humanity, could do a better job of is being thankful towards you. Father, would you please give us a few moments this morning to push everything else from our minds. Would you please clear, clear the dashboard of our heart. Might you be our focus, Lord. Might we consider just how good you've been to us. And Father, thank you. What a privilege it is to get to serve you. Please teach us this morning. Show us something from this passage we can apply right now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I I think the overall lesson that comes from verses 7 to 10 is quite simple. I don't think I need to expound on it that much. He's simply saying that when a servant does his job, there's nothing thankworthy in that. He was expected to do his job. He shouldn't expect any uh, special rewards for that. It says in verse number 10... They are unprofitable servants. Now, why would it say unprofitable? It didn't say useless. That's different. He didn't say useless. A servant, when he does his job, is of great use. 
when he obeys what he was told to do. Unprofitable in the sense he was given duties X, Y, Z. He performed X, Y, Z. He didn't go above and beyond in this particular case. So he, in that sense, is unprofitable. He simply did what he was asked to do. He performed his duty. I want this to be very clear. This sets the stage for the next story. When a servant does his job, there's no need, there's no requirement for a special thank you. Is that clear from what we've read there? When a servant does his job towards his master, no thank you is required. In verse number 11, Luke records this next story, I believe purposely putting it back to back to build off of what Jesus just said. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Now Jerusalem is where all the action was going to happen. That's where Jesus is going to eventually be arrested and be put to death. He's, during his ministry, he spent a lot of time up in the north. And now he's passing through Samaria uh, to get down to Jerusalem. It's amazing how much you can do as you go from one place to the next. It's an interesting Bible study. Look in your Bible sometime how much Jesus accomplished as he was going from one place to the next. He was always looking for an opportunity to help someone. In verse 12, And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. I don't know how much you know about the disease of leprosy, but that is one nasty disease. It's still with us today in certain parts of the world. is more prevalent than others. But leprosy, especially in biblical times, once you came down with leprosy, barring a miracle, that was it. You were going to watch your body die piece by piece. And when I say die, when leprosy would spread to a certain part of the body, you'd lose feeling in it. You'd, the finger might be there, but you wouldn't have any real control over it. You couldn't feel that it was there. Lepers would fall asleep at night with ten fingers and wake up with seven because the rats would eat some of them and they didn't know it. It would eat through their face. It would just completely debilitate them and it was very contagious. So the Jews had a law that if anybody came down with leprosy, they were not allowed to stay within the camp lest they contaminate everyone else. They had to stay without the camp. And any time someone would ever come near them, start to approach or if they happened to pass by where somebody was at, they, there was a standing order. You can read this in the book of Numbers. They had to cover their mouth and say, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine the life that they had to live? The estrangement, the loneliness, the only other friends they had were lepers. Cut off from society. Can I say it this way? Without hope, Without hope, no bright future, no light at the end of the tunnel. They would never be able to visit the temple again. They'd never be able to worship like other Jews would worship. For a leper, I, I don't know of any worse living condition in these biblical times than that. What a horrible life. These ten men that were lepers, they stood afar off. And verse 13 says, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I can remember 22 and a half years ago, there was a time in my life when this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. 
and saved him out of all of his troubles. I can remember a day in my life when I was without hope and without God. I had a disease called sin and it was eating me alive from the inside out, taking my life apart one piece at a time. It was going to destroy me. And no matter how hard I tried to fix myself, there was nothing I could do. And any time anytime something spiritual would come by my way, I knew that I couldn't partake. It didn't make sense to me. It was foolishness unto me. I was separated from God and His people. I was unclean. Unclean. And somebody, somebody... They were just out doing the job of the gospel, going from door to door. Knocked on my door on a Tuesday night and extended the gospel message to me. And it wasn't long after I cried out and said, Lord Jesus, please come into my heart, save my soul. Cleanse this old sinful leper. Cleanse the leper of his spots. You can make me whole and thank God he had mercy on me. When no one else should approach me, if, if you're a Jew, you're not supposed to go near these lepers. But not Jesus. We see not just here, but in other occasions. When a leper saw Jesus, a leper would run to him, fall down at his feet, and, and actually touch Jesus, which was never supposed to happen. But rather than Jesus shooing him away, Jesus would show mercy. I'm sure, you see, that story happened very early in the ministry of Jesus. That leper went away clean. You know what the Bible says about that leper? You can read about it in Mark chapter 1. That leper went about, listen, blazing abroad the matter. He blazed it abroad. He set the town on fire with this message. He went everywhere saying, do you remember me? And, and people would look at him and say, no, I don't think we've ever met. He says, well, look at me now. now and they go, oh, you're that leper. with uh, Yeah. Do you know, do you, I'm sure he broke the internet with that story. That, that's what happened to the internet. It was back there and then we broke it. Now it just showed back up now. He broke the internet. That story went viral. Everybody in Israel is going, man, there was this leper and now he's cleansed. And the news, I am sure, reached these 10 men. And it's not as if there were posters up in Israel saying such and such a time, such and such a day, Jesus is going to pass by. This was an unexpected opportunity. They watch, they say, see Jesus passing by, they, here's our chance, and they cry out, have mercy on us. In verse number 14, and when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. That's all he said. He didn't say, you're cleansed. He didn't say, okay, mercy, boom. He just said, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Leviticus, and I know most of you are, right? That's your favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus. For a lot of people, it is. Leviticus 13 and 14, it talks all about leprosy, very exciting stuff. And when a leper came down with this disease, he was supposed to go show himself to the priest and the priest would examine it and, and check out and say, no, it's, it's not leprosy, it's just a scab of some sort or whatever it was. So now Jesus is saying, go show yourselves to the priest. This is, Jesus is abiding by the law of the day. This is, this is proper Jewish behavior. If Jesus is going to cleanse them, 
The next step is to go show yourself to the priest and let the priest verify that you are cleansed so that you can be allowed back into proper society. So what Jesus is saying, in essence, is the job's already done. Now, go give a testimony. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you've asked for mercy. Mercy is implied. But now go give somebody else the proof. Go tell them, go show them what I've done for you. The Bible says in verse 14, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, notice he says, go show yourselves to the priest. What did they do? Did they stand there and, they, and say, why? Why? We're lepers. Why would we go to the priest? This doesn't make sense. Show me a verse for that. <laughs> Let's have a debate. <laughs> Let's go to Durban. <laughs> he said, go show yourselves to the priest. They went, I'm, I'm sure they're looking at each other saying, uh, Really? But we're, we're lepers. Well, okay. He said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, step one, he starts to feel a finger. Step two, man, I can feel my other hand. Step three, a chair falls down. <laughs> step three and a half... <laughs> He can feel his knee again. Step four, he feels his left foot. Step five, he's breathing clear. Step six, all of a sudden he's walking straight. And by, as he's going down the road, he says, man, I'm, I'm feeling better step by step. This is outstanding. And, and the farther I go, the better I feel. But they did not, they did not get the full benefit of Jesus' mercy until... They applied the advice He gave them, the command that He gave them. It's not enough, and here's what I'd like for you to see in this, it's not enough for you to come, sit in church, and hear someone tell you how much the Lord loves you and how He died for you so that He could save you, so that He can change you. If all you do is hear the message and do not apply it, you're never going to enjoy the blessings of what you've just heard not enough to hear the gospel. Garrett gave us a, an outstanding lesson this morning. It was, wasn't that wonderful? And he, he said it so well. To, to hear and to believe the gospel, in Romans chapter 10, verse 16, it talks about obeying the gospel. Now that doesn't mean you have to do good works in order to save yourself. What that means is you have to actually apply that gospel message. You have to call upon the name of the Lord. You have to put your full trust in what He did on Calvary. When you believe on Christ, it's not just I believe that He died historically 2,000 years ago. I believe that fact. But you are understanding because He died, that makes Him not just my Savior, but my Lord. And I've turned my heart. I'm going to follow on now. They did not see the effects, feel the effects, until they went. In verse 15, we read in one of them, when He saw that He was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice, 
glorified God. Were you here last Sunday night? Remember what we studied last Sunday night? The basics of biblical body care. We talked about singing, shouting, that is cheering, right? And, 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 uh, and laughing. Amen. Some of you need to get that CD. <laughs> it would help you a lot to smile more. Do you see another biblical application of lifting up the voice in praise to God? Hear this man, he's realized what Jesus has done for him. And it says, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. In verse 16, he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan, an outsider uncouth. I think in Afrikaans, jylle, jylle het een lekker woord vir hierdie situasie. Jylle sê komen. <laughs> Hy is komen. <laughs> in the Jewish mind, that's what a Samaritan, my ayah is not komen. Am I right, Armand? Armand taught me that this week. He's back there cheering me on. Yes, well done, Pastor. <laughs> you wouldn't expect such polite behavior, such proper behavior from a Samaritan. And that's why it's pointed out that in order for a Samaritan to fall down at the feet of a Jew, Jesus was a Jew, this has to be an incredibly special situation. The verse in, uh, beyond this, verse 17, Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. I'd like to point something, a few things out about what we've just seen here. All ten of them were cleansed. Is that correct? All ten of them were healed. But let's not forget what we learned in verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. A servant isn't worthy of a thank you. But if the master goes out of his way to do something for you, he's worthy of the thank you. So if you put these two stories together, nine of these nine of these. Men, I, I, if they were Samaritans or not, I don't know, but nine of them called him master. Verse 13, do you see that? Nine of them said, Jesus, master. They called him master, but they treated him like a servant. Do you understand why I say that? They said master, but then they never came back to say thank you. They're treating him like a servant, as if Jesus owed them that. As if God owes you this sort of attention, this sort of love, this sort of tender mercy. I think it would help us greatly if we could somehow escape the mentality of thinking that God owes us everything. It would help us greatly to understand that it's not as if because we are something special and great that God now owes us the next breath you're about to take the food you're going to eat, the place you're going to sleep. He doesn't owe you that. Somehow, when something goes wrong in our lives, we get this bitterness toward God because how dare He infringe upon my rights? Your rights. He, he, he gave you that, that breath that you have. Let's follow it back. You say, well, it came from my mom and dad. You know, I know the biology of it. And I was formed in the womb. And then the lungs were formed in the breath. Let, let, but where did it start? 
Go back, go back, go back to where there was just there was a soul and God gave that soul a mud bath. He covered Adam in dirt, covered him in mud, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And that breath, that breath the Bible says in the book of Job that God, he breathes into us. He gives us our breath. Friend, you don't own time. You didn't create time. You, you, you know, we, we say, I bought a timeshare. Oh, oh, really, you own some time? <laughs> Show me that. You got it in your pocket? <laughs> See, I wear it on my, on my wrist. No, you've got a watch. You don't have time. <laughs> when I got to Malawi, that's the only joke a Malawian ever told me. Just, it's not because there's no jokes there. It's just the only one that anyone ever told me. But I sat down next to this Malawian, well-to-do Malawian in a shop one day, and he, he said, yeah, you are Zungu, you white guys. You are Zungu, you have watches, eh? but we, we have time. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard a variation of that. I know what he's saying. I understand what he, his point, and actually I think he's right in the point he's making. But in actual fact, nobody owns time but God. Right? He's the only one outside of time. All of us are bound by time, but not God. He's, he's outside of time. It says in Isaiah, he inhabits eternity. So you know what he's done when you came into this world? He gave you some time. Don't you read that in Psalm chapter 90? Maybe he'll give you 70 years if you're strong, 80 and there's no promise that 70 is your magic number. Everybody has a different amount of appointed days, it says in Job chapter 7. It is correct to say you are living on borrowed time. Your life is as a vapor. It appears for a little while, vanishes away. God doesn't owe you that. We take this for granted. And I say we, I put myself in that group as well. And instead of treating Jesus as the master, the Lord, the God who he is, we begin to treat him like a servant. He blesses us. He takes time to consider our uh, rough situation. He does something about it. And we walk off enjoying the blessing but never recognizing who gave it to us. We will say what is necessary to God to get him to act on our behalf. Once he acts... He's out of our minds. No longer is he the master. Now he's just the servant, an unprofitable servant. He did that which was his duty to do. Oh, my friend, you can thank God today that he doesn't give you what you deserve. Amen. Would you please consider that for a moment? Do you realize what we deserve? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. If God were to exact righteous judgment on you for the crimes that you've committed against Him, for the number of times you've rebelled against Him, this building would be empty. I would do nothing but funerals. I wouldn't even do the funeral. I'd be dead. I think it's really helpful if we get ourselves in a proper position to God. We don't, he doesn't owe us anything, especially when it comes to eternal life. Paul made this very clear in Romans chapter 4 and verse 4. He said, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. His point is, if you think you can earn your salvation by doing good works, 
That means God owes you something. God is now your debtor. He owes you something. Look at what I did, God. Isn't that impressive? Oh, and God says, hey, wow, that, yeah, man. You really did something there. Here you go. Here's eternal life. What could we ever do good enough to earn that? So the next verse says, but to him that believeth not, or to him that worketh not, rather, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It's not a matter of God, look at all the good things I've done now. You owe me salvation. As a sinner, as a spiritual leper, we go to God and say, God, I'm without hope. I'm outside the camp. I have no right to approach unto you. I'm defiled. I'm sinful. I'm ungodly. I'm unworthy. Please just have mercy on me. And now, instead of a reward, we get a gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You understand every good thing we have, it was given to us mercifully, graciously. God doesn't owe us those things. In verse number 15, if I can pull your attention back to that for a moment. It says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. You see, he saw that he was healed. That's the what. And then he turned back. What's he turning back for? Is there, does he need something else? Did Jesus not do a full job? Is it like he only had one hand healed, now he needs the other hand healed? Jesus, sorry, you forgot this side? That's not the case at all. He, he saw what had happened, and then it says he turned back, and he goes to Jesus, he falls down at Jesus' feet, and with a loud voice begins to glorify God and say, thank you, Lord, for saving, in this case, my body. We would say, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole, but he did it in a loud voice more than I can manage today. You see, he didn't realize, or he didn't recognize just the what, but the who. Now he's taking time to realize who did this for him. We're so busy looking at what God did, we forget the reason he did it. You know why Jesus came to do all these miracles? To heal lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. You know why he did all that? The Bible says to declare God to us, to show us who God is and how we can have a relationship with him. The idea wasn't for Jesus to show up, do a few miracles, help a few people and say, now I hope that was a blessing, bye-bye. That wasn't it. The idea was to say, listen, I'm, I'm showing you the only way to God. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man's going to make it to the Father but by me. I'm going to do these miracles to prove to you that I am the Messiah, that I am God, come down in a body. I've come to reach you as a mediator to bring you back to God. This one Samaritan had it figured out. He looked at what had happened and said, now this can't be all that's meant in this. There, there's got to be more to this. God's blessed you with a job and given you a family and given you health and 
giving you sight and giving you hearing. Now, why do you do that? Just so that you can run around for 60, 70 years, enjoy it the way you please, and then drift off into eternity, never having turned back to say, thank you, Lord, for giving me a way to have a relationship with you. I know why you put me down here. I know why you did all this stuff in my life. It was to draw me closer to God. It starts with having a thankful attitude. You see, by saying thank you, what you're doing is showing respect for the one who did that. To walk off and never come back and take time to thank the one who did it shows that you think very, very little of the one who did that for you. This man took time. He turned back. Have you ever done that? Have you ever fallen down at the feet of Jesus Christ and with a loud voice glorified him and said, thank you, Lord? Has it ever hit you? Has it ever hit you who it was that touched your life? Has it ever occurred to you that it was the creator of the universe who came down in human flesh, walked amongst us for 33 and a half years, who was mocked, ridiculed, persecuted, hated, and still and still didn't give up, but went all the way to the cross just so that he could change your life? just so that he could dig you out of the pits of sin and turn you into something that would be pleasing to God. We're not talking about some great king or president. We're not talking about some wonderfully educated man or some rich, famous Hollywood actor. We're talking about the Lord of glory that's interested in you as an individual. Have you ever turned back to notice him or are you excited just about what he can give you? Master, give me more. Master, give me more. Master, give me more. How about take some time with the master? That's what this entire plan was designed to do, draw you closer to the master. We sang Amazing Grace, and you guys sing so well. I love to hear you guys sing. Do you know where this song came from? Written by a man. The words of it were written by a man named John Newton. That You, you can see it in the book. John Newton was a nasty cuss of a man. And that's putting it gently. He was a wicked, wicked man. He was pressed into the Navy as a young, young teenager. He was so bad they kicked him out of the Navy. He went to work on slave ships. He was so bad and such a nasty man. Listen, working on slave ships. He was so bad that the, that the other sailors on the slave ship couldn't handle how bad he was. He cussed so much and was so blasphemous, all he would do all day and night was sing songs, make jokes, and try to talk people out of believing in God. They kicked him off that slave ship. They couldn't handle it. He gets picked up by another slave ship, and instead of working on it, he's such a nasty cuss of a man. Instead of being a worker on the boat, a sailor on the boat, they make him one of the slaves. That's how wicked this man was. One night a horrible storm arose and the ship is going back and forth and, and a nasty hole, big hole in the side of the ship is created, hits, the ship hits something. And now John Newton, for the first time in years, he was raised by a Christian mom, had turned his back on that. For the first time in years, he cries out, Lord, have mercy on us. Like the old saying goes, there's no atheist in a foxhole. <laughs> When the bullets start to fly and when it gets rough, it's amazing how we learn how to pray real fast. And as the story goes, right when he was saying that, 
a lot of the ballast or the, the hooters on the ship, the ship swung in such a, a violent way that all of this stuff was thrown into the hole that had been knocked into the side of the ship and plugged the hole. Well, John Newton escaped from that disaster. And it, he didn't get saved right away. He points to that, that time in his life as the turning point that began his journey back to God. But it was there that he turned back. It was there that he stopped and he looked and said, wait a minute. And, and that phrase, when he said, Lord, have mercy on us, that phrase kept playing in his mind. He knew when I said that, immediately God showed up and did something. He had mercy on me. I didn't deserve that. There's no reason God should have helped me. And for years, he, he even continued working on other slave ships for a while. It took time for him. After he turned back, he knew he, he, knew he was spared. But it took time after he turned back to get his eyes fixed on Jesus. He knew the miracle had happened. But now he needs to get to know the Lord personally. And it was, I think, almost 20 years later that he sat down. By this time, he's saved. By this time, he's enrolled in theology, uh, theological school. He's becoming a clergyman, a preacher. And he sat down and penned these words that we still sing. Ten million times a year, it's estimated this song gets sung. What's the song about? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He knew where he once was and where God brought him, brought him from. And he couldn't help but sing and sing loud about how amazing God's grace really is. In verse 16, we've already read, he fell down on his face at his feet, at Jesus' feet, and giving him thanks. We've talked about how he lifted up his voice. This morning, it's not my goal. It's not my goal to get you to copy his physical motions, okay? I, I'm not expecting anyone to fall down on their face here and cry out with a loud voice. I, I'm, I'm not, I, I do not want to stand here and, and try to drum up a certain emotion from you. I think that happens way too often in churches, right? Let's get the lights turned just right and, you know, get the music going in the background just right and then the preacher knows how to work the crowd and they give 20-minute long invitations, you know. And if you don't come forward, you don't love God and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, after a while, you're so buttonholed, you have to come forward. You're like, man, okay, fine. I, I, that's not my intention this morning. You know why this man went to these great lengths to show his appreciation? To say thank you, Lord? You know why it was? Not just the miracle, but he looked at who had done it. He turned back and he fell at Jesus' feet and he realized this is not just some great prophet. This is not just some fancy teacher. The Lord of glory just passed by my way. He's just come into my life I wonder, this leper, as he turned back, I wonder what was passing through his mind. Remember, he had taken some steps to go towards the high priest, and now, or to the priest, rather, and now he's going back towards Jesus. I wonder what's going on in his mind. I wonder if he thinks, my life will never be the same. I'll never be the same. 
I wonder if while he was bowing there before Jesus, if he thought to himself, what would I have done if Jesus hadn't passed by today? I wonder if 10, 20, 30 years later as this Samaritan sits with the grandkids on his lap and he's telling them story after story because that's what grandpas do. We bore our grandchildren to death with our stories. Megan, get ready. (laughs) I wonder as he bounces that grandchild on his knee if he says, let me tell you about the day I met Jesus. Let me tell you about the day that my life so drastically changed that I will never be the same person ever again. I wonder what was going through his mind. Can you imagine if you were so helpless and hopeless and defiled and estranged and now Jesus has shown up? Folks, take just a moment now. Would you please take just a moment now? And think about where you would be if Jesus hadn't come into your life. I wouldn't be standing here before you. I seriously doubt I'd be married to the wonderful woman I am. I can't imagine what my relationship with my children would be. Every single part of my life has been made better by meeting the Lord Jesus Every one of my friends that I hold dear, I have because of the Lord Jesus. He taught me how to love. He taught me how to forgive. He taught me how to listen. He taught me how to, he taught me how to humble myself. He taught me how to trust and depend on God. He, he taught me how to put right in front of left. I mean, seriously, folks, before I got saved, I was that confused. I didn't know which way to go with life. Every single part of it has been made better by Him. I cannot, to, my, to, the, to its fullest extent, imagine a life without Him. And what scares me is, some of you maybe, just thought of your life without Jesus and thought, I don't think my life would be that different. I, I think that would indicate then you're one of the lepers that needs to cry out, Master, have mercy. And and taste and see that the Lord is as good as we're making Him out to be. Let Him make that difference in your life. The feeling of going from completely condemned to completely forgiven. Can you imagine, can you imagine a prisoner locked in a cell for 30 years and one day the jailer walks by and puts the key in the door and unlocks it and says, you're free. How do you think that man feels? How do you think it feels to go 10, 20 years with a horrible disease eating your body away and then all of a sudden one day, whew, everything's fine and you feel 100% again and Oh, the joy that fills one's soul. Verse 17. Where, were there not ten cleansed? That's Jesus' question. But where are the nine? That's a good question. Where are the nine? Well, I would presume they were on their way to the temple. Why? Jesus told them to go to the priest. Right? Let me ask you folks something. Were they doing something wrong? 
Were the nine doing something wrong? No. Jesus said, go to the priest. So they're going to the priest. But as I mentioned earlier, they've missed the bigger picture. The, the point of the miracle is to get them to see who Jesus actually is and how much he cares about them. To bring them into a relationship with him and, and with the Father personally. You know what they got out of it? Well, I feel better. I'll just go to church. But they never drew closer to Jesus. I, is it right to come to church? Come, come on now, say amen there. Amen, <laughs> amen it is. Hey, folks, we, we've covered this, uh, what, two months ago? I, I gave you a couple lessons about coming to church and the importance of it. Th that's something you need to do. But mindless, heartless obedience to the words of God is not impressive to the Lord. Well, he told me to go to church, so I'm just going to go to church. I'm going to sit there and endure to the end and then go home. If that's all it was, and it appears that for the nine, that's what it was. Master, have mercy. Cleansed. Temple. Back. Naughty haste to. That's all it was. We never read about those nine getting any closer to the Lord. I'm glad you're here today. Member and visitor alike. And I want you to know the point of this is not just let's get together and see how full we can make the church. We're not looking to make some grand show of how many people can come forward. Our heart's desire is for you to understand that the master of the universe is reaching out to you personally. He's trying to do something in your life to get you to turn back and come and get to know him better. And that starts with recognizing who he is, who you are, and the amazing grace he's shown in your life. In verse number 19, it says here, And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Go thy way. Well, this man was also supposed to go see the priest. So Jesus is telling him, You, you, you can go on and do what I've told you to do. You need to go to the priest and give a testimony there. Show them that you've been cleansed. Hey, you folks would also do well. Take your testimony of what Jesus has done and tell other people about it. Show them. Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Now it's that, last, it's that last part of the verse that I find impressive. Thy faith hath made thee whole. His faith made him whole physically. Well, that's true, right? Jesus said... Go to the priest, as they went, they were cleansed. So in, in the physical sense, that's true. But when it says, thy faith hath made thee whole, that is complete. I'm wondering if the other nine didn't get this wholeness. They got cleansed. Perhaps they weren't made whole. You say, but what do you mean? Because they were fully cleansed. Yes, physically, but you're more than just a body. Amen. Do you, and now you folks know this, right? You find anybody that's suffering of a serious disease, it doesn't just affect them physically. It wears you down emotionally. It wears you down mentally. It wears you down spiritually. Amen? But this man, when he came back to Jesus, 
You know what he learned? When he turned back and thanked him, he's recognizing not just what Jesus did, but who he is. He's gotten more than just a physical cleansing. He has now come close to the one who loves him and cares about him and is concerned about him. And and now he's made a personal connection with the God of glory. That does something more than just fix the body. That can mend the broken heart. That can heal the broken spirit. The one who's discouraged and wonders, does God care about me? Is He concerned about what I'm going through? Does He see? Can He see what's happening in my life? This man figured it out that Jesus is interested in him as an individual. I believe that's why He said, you can go your way now. You have learned the whole lesson. You have figured out why I've been doing this, why I did this for you. Your faith has made you whole. You've not only had faith in what I did, but who I am. And now you're as complete as can complete can be. It all started with thank you, Lord. The song we sang, the message is so wonderful. Some thank the Lord for friends and home, for mercies sure and sweet. But I would praise Him for His grace. In prayer, I would repeat. Thank You, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank You, Lord, for making me whole. Both things. Thank You, Lord, for giving to me Thy great salvation so rich and free. Some thank Him for the flowers that grow, some for the stars that shine. My heart is filled with joy and praise because I know He's mine. Do you understand the heart of this song? It's not just what He's put all around us, the birds that chirp, the stars that shine. All of that is wonderful. Yes, thank God for it. Thank God for it. Thank God you got eyes that work that can see it. Amen. The, the air in Durban is so thick, I could feel it when I breathed. I could feel, it was like swallowing the air. <clears throat> Heavy. Thank God I can breathe. I don't need a machine for that. Thank God for all those things. But beyond all that, he says, my heart is filled with joy and praise because I know he's mine. It's not just what he's done all around us, but who he is. Connected to Him. I trust in Him from day to day. I prove His saving grace. I'll sing this song of praise to Him until I see His face. Thank You, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank You, Lord, for making me whole. Thank You, Lord, for giving to me Thy great salvation so rich and free. Let's all stand if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Megan, do you mind, can I ask you to come and and play that while we take just a moment here? Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a few moments. Two, two more. As I mentioned earlier, we're not going to try to drum up a reaction. I would like to bring to your remembrance call to your attention just how good God has been to you. Say, but Brother Mike, I, I don't see His goodness that much in my life. Things are going pretty bad. 
Well, now, you do have to apply what he said before you'll see anything change. Right? If you want to recognize his mercy, it does require some obedience on your part. I want to give you folks a moment to put yourself in the, in the place of that leper. How would you have reacted? What would you have done? Would you have fallen to your knees? Would you have said with a loud voice, Thank you, Lord? And just imagine what Jesus did for you was much greater than what he did for that leper. Take a moment to thank him. Perhaps today you've come but you've never been cleansed of your sin. You've never been saved. I promise you Sinner, I promise you, if you call out for mercy, Lord, I believe, I know you died for me. I believe you rose again. And I'm begging you, God, please. I feel hopeless. I don't think anybody loves me or cares. God, would you love me? God, would you save me? I promise you, you cry out for mercy and you'll receive it. So before we close, can I just ask you, if you've never done that, if you've never asked the Lord to save your soul, would you just slip your hand up? You can put it right back down. I, I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to point you out. Won't embarrass you. Nothing like that. Can I pray for you? You just slip your hand up, say, Preacher, pray for me. Not sure if I'm saved. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anyone else? Say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Not sure I've been cleansed. Amen. Now, if you've been cleansed, you need to go show someone. And the first one you need to go and talk to is the Lord. Thank Him for it. Father, we press towards Your throne now, Lord. And the best way we know how, we say thank You. Oh, God, thank You. Thank You for having mercy on me. Lord, you've provided the daily bread, the breath, the eyesight, the hearing, the voice. God, you've been so good, but the best thing you've ever given is a personal relationship with you. To know you, to allow, allow me to fall down at your feet, speak with you. Father, I pray for those sinners that raised the hands this morning. Might they come to know just how much you care about them. Help them, Lord, today to call out for mercy. And Lord, for the, the majority of this crowd, they've already been cleansed, God. And they're here in church. Lord, please help them to do it from the heart. Help us, Lord, to look beyond the what and to look at the who. 
God, help us to treat you like a master and not a servant. You are worthy of our thanksgiving. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.